It's okay, I'm sure you will. Josh Posner from Boca Raton. Oh, that's sweet Francis. Gavi Aspler, Montreal. Gavi Aspler One country after another country. And the reason that we are where we are today 
reason we have a national identity is really, I believe, because of Mishabah, because we didn't lose focus, and we were able to, that every single time that there was a Jewish wedding for the last 2,000 years, there was a glass broken. There was ashes put on the Hassan's head. That Yushalayim is there, that, and we fasted on Tishbab. I believe that has oriented us, us as a nation, perhaps more than any other day. And that's why I believe very strongly that, you know, there are those who are saying, ah, oh, you know, Tishbab's not relevant anymore, we still have Yushalayim, but we're not there yet. We're not there yet. And it's because of us. Like, we should just, you know, we're not building. We're not, we're not taking the next step. And it's up to us. And as long as we haven't taken that next step to restore our relationship with the Kaddish Baruch then we still do need to mourn on Tisha B'Av. And that, for us, for me, it like really connects me to the past, present, and future. Right? You, it, Judaism is very much, the Rav Salvechik calls it the unitive time consciousness. It's one of my favorite lines of Rav Salvechik. Unitive time consciousness, which in normal language means the fact that in Judaism, past, present, and future are not linear. We re-experience the past today. Right? We, when we eat matzah on Pesach, we're not just remembering what the Jews did. It's as if now we're leaving Egypt. Right? When we, when we drink the wine, right, we, we have to do that. That's why we're leaning, we're posturing. And when we fast, when we sit on the floor on Tisha B'Av, it's as if the Bezimikdash is burning in front of us. That's what's happening. It's a unitive time consciousness. The past is now. Past, present, and future is not past, present, and future. For us, we live all of it. The future also. We, we envision the future as if it's now. So, so that's, I think, something very unique about Judaism and something that, to me, gives us meaning throughout the year because of that unitive time consciousness. And Tisha B'Av is one example of it. And I think Eicha, which is a, the core text of Tisha B'Av, is like the text that's like one of the most underappreciated texts in all of Jewish literature. Because it is raw and it's short, and we're usually like out on a basketball court, like on the floor. Like, is that what they do here? Like basketball court and flashlights on the floor here, here on the floor. So like, it's, it's not outside, but in most camps, it's like basketball court thing. Anybody ever do the basketball court tissue yeah. thing? Right? You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> so the basketball court tissue thing. So like, that's usually what it is, and no one knows what it's about. No one actually reads it. No one understands why this is carry the, the memory of a nation for as long as it has been. So what I thought what we would do right now is just for a few minutes, just pick out some highlights and see how Eicha answers some big, big questions in Jewish thought. Some big questions are, are, are asked and dealt with in Eicha. So ready to start? So let's look quickly. It is on page 876. In your hand, you can watch awesome. Sentai. So, Eicha. So, first of all, just a couple of points about Eicha. Who wrote Eicha according to the tradition? Yirmiyahu. When did Yirmiyahu write Eicha? According to the tradition. When did Yirmiyahu write Eicha? The good trivia point. Anybody know? What do you. Uh, see, by, by me asking it, everybody's, everybody realizes that the answer they thought was wrong. Right, meaning normally, right, you'd think that there's a lament about the Chorban. But in actuality, according to the Gemara, this and the Midrash, this was written years before by when Yehoyachin, like when, and during, during the time of Yehoyachin, the king, Yirmiyahu comes 
and shows him, it's written in Sefer Yirmiyot, that he shows him a gilat kinot, that he shows him a lament that he writes about the future destruction, that he prophesies. He writes, he reads it, and he throws it into the fire because he refuses to believe it. Right? Yirmiyahu suffered terribly in his lifetime because of all, there were tons of false prophets who were prophesying the entire time that everything is fine, that, that everybody's okay as long as the temple is burned, is, is, is up, nothing's going to happen. And Yirmiyahu was speaking truth to power, was trying to fight and, and, and urge everyone that really the Beit HaMikdash was doomed. And when he shows him this, he's cast into the fire in disbelief. They later reconstruct this Begilah that he showed the king, and that is what Echa is. So Echa is actually a prophecy of what will happen later, and has sustained because it actually did happen. Echa is structured in five prakim. It's structured in five prakim. It's the only sefer in Tanakh that's organized in what way? Anybody notice? How is Echa organized? Somebody said it. It's, everything's a chaotic structure. But what is, how is Echa organized? Olive base, acrostic. I see only safer in Tanakh. You have a couple of but the only safer in Tanakh that's an acrostic, right? Olive base. Midrash says olive base because it represents either the calamity of the destruction, the the, the fact that it was like from olive to top, like it was a destruction, or more likely because it's a mnemonic device that helps us remember the psukim. It helps us. It helps us remember what's where. It helps us organize. It gives a limit to the suffering, or else it would be unlimited. So, when we start writing Eicha, that is before the beginning of the Alphabet? Before the. First one of the Alphabet? Before the. It's no, because he is part of that first Gullah, so it's before that. It's before that. Uh, the date, I have the date, which I don't remember. But, but with the Oyachi. Before the first Gullah? Before the first, because he was part of that first Galut. So Yahu was not in Israel for the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash. So how do we know it's for the Korban Bayit Shein? It's by Rishon. Oh, it's by Rishon. By Rishon. Okay, so now, what else? It's also, it's a, so it's an acrostic, right? You have five Prakim. Each one is from Aleph to Taf, except the third parak, which is a triple acrostic, right? Aleph, 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 Bet, Bet, Bet. And the fifth parak, which is not an acrostic, but it's still 22 psukim. So that's the structure of Asia. Let's look for a minute at the first parak and try to understand some of the major themes. Okay, we're going to do this quick. I go quick. I don't take breaths. You have to stay with me. Right, Judy? Yeah. Okay, quick. Okay, Asia. Asia. What does the word Asia mean, by the way? What does the word Asia mean? How could it be? How could it be? But isn't that Ech? What's the between Ech and Echa? It's just like, you know, poetic license. But Eicha comes up other times in Tanakh. Where else does Eicha come up? Anybody know? Any leaners? With? Ayeka. That's an Ayeka. Close. Beautiful, beautiful. If you want to know, there's a beautiful, like, video by Rabbi Foreman on the connection to Eicha and Ayeka. It's beautiful. But, but where's Eicha itself come up? Eicha. The word Eicha. In Dvarim, no? In Dvarim, good. But where? Who says it? Yafeh. What? Because we lean it. We lane the word Eicha in, in Parshat Tavarim, always the Shabbos for Tishbuk, in Eicha Tun. Right? It's Moshe saying, Eicha Esa Levadi. How can I carry this nation alone? And how does Eicha start? Eicha Yashva Vadad. How was the city 
sit alone. Icha throughout Tanakh is, represent, is, a, is a cry of loneliness. It's a howl out of loneliness. That's what Icha, that's what you need to What's the symbol of loneliness in the beginning of the Megillah? Echa Yashma Badad. What's the symbol? Ha'ir, Rabati Am, Haita, Ka'almana. Right? The symbol of loneliness is a widow. Right? So the third person is describing the city as an almana, as a widow, and describing the loneliness of the city. And that's really the theme at the beginning. Right? Rabbi Tiba Goyim, the greatest Rabbi Tiba, now it's a paying tribute. It was one that people were paying too, and now it's paying. Right? Why do we have cheeks? Why do we have tears on our cheeks? Her cheeks? She's alone. She has no one to console her. Right? We know in Sefer Eov, Sefer Eov, right? the other book of Tanakh that talks about suffering, the moment that Eov turns to God and starts blaspheming and turns challenging God is when his friends leave. Right? Shiva is very powerful because you have menachamim, you have people, your friends, you have people to share your burden. When you're lonely, that's why we're turning to God. So there's loneliness here. All of her friends are now her, or, tra- or traitors. They're now, they're now enemies. So there's terrible suffering going on here. Why is there suffering? What is the reason? Try to read, try to learn for one or two minutes. Let's do a two-minute chabruza. Two-minute chabruza. Turn to the person next to you. And read from here until Pasukhet. And tell me, why is there suffering? Why is the city lonely? Do a quick chabruza. we got to get to right after Menucha. It's Menucha time. we got to get people active, right? You can't just listen to me. Why is there suffering? Two-minute chabruza. That's how it is lonely. But what is the reason for her loneliness? 
because her, her friends turned into enemies. That's how they sinned. They said. They sinned. How do you know? It says. Where does it say it? Right? Yushalayim sinned. And that's why he's wandering aimlessly. Simple. Right? Why is Yermiyahu saying Yushalayim is suffering? Because they sinned. Could have the Shia right now. Right? That's why suffering, right? Does that echo what you see in your life? That suffering happens because of sin. Right? Right? That's what we've grown up our whole life. That suffering happens because of sin. And if we continue, that's the theme of this parak. Right? If you skip down, for example, to Pasuk Yudchet. Sadiq hu Hashem, hifihu mariti. Right now, Yerushalayim switches, interestingly, from the third person to the first person. And he's saying, God is righteous because I have rebelled against him. Right? Just like we say every single day in Ashrei, you sing it. God is righteous. His ways are just. And a just God punishes because of sin. We sinned. We got what we deserved. All good. Yes? And look at the last passage. Tavol korah tam lepanecha. Right? Tavol korah tam lepanecha. Let all the wickedness, wickedness come in front of me. In front of you. Bo'olama kasher olata li al kulp sha'ai. Ki rabot anchutai v'li bidavai. Our only response to this is saying, it's enough. You've now punished us. Now move on. That's our response. What's our response? Tshuva, tefillah. That's our response. Nice and simple theology. We're done. Shear's over. Anybody have any questions on the shear? No questions? Is that why? Is that why that, that's, that's their answer? We never have to ask why good things happen to bad people. It's very simple. They sinned, right? Why bad things happen to good people? Because they sinned. Simple, right? Not so simple, right? Not so simple. So in Perak Bet, Yirmiyahu is going to tell us it's not so simple. Perak Bet, Yirmiyahu is going to ask five questions. Five questions on the thesis in chapter one. On the thesis that suffering happens because of sin, we're going to get five questions in Perak Bet. How long do I have? Seven, I have seven minutes or I have longer? How, 20 minutes? Do we have time for a Chabrusa? Time for a Chabrusa? Okay, fine. So let's do a little Chabrusa. We're going to do a Chabrusa. We're going to do a Chabrusa for you to figure out. Okay? Let's try to figure out the five questions in Parak Bet that Yirmiyahu has on the thesis that sin, that sin causes suffering. Okay? We try it? Try, try a Chabrusa? You have to pay attention. Just park back. 22 psukim, 10 minutes. That means you have 26 seconds of puzzle. They're short psukim, okay? Well, maybe we can do the Let's see if we'll see how things are going. I'll do a check-in inside. What?
Time's too long. I'll check it in five. We'll see how it goes. If it's possible that anyone is listening, just skip until we start again. Don't listen to us for five minutes. I'm pausing the recording. Wallowed and didn't have any mercy. Harass, he destroyed. He died. Right? He, he like, profaned. He burned in Yaakov like a burning fire. He chased us like an enemy. His anger burned like fire. He was like an, ang- an enemy. He swallowed Israel. He swallowed all of its palaces, etc., etc., etc. So what's the argument here? Right? Why is there no Rachman? Right? The way we formulated today is like, imagine, you know, you were, uh, you know, you were CNN, and you're talking about the, you know, Israel's incursion into Janine. Right? So, what do you say about Israel? Right? Why is world opinion with Gaza and with the Palestinians? Right? Why do they all? You guys know CNN? Is there CNN in Canada? CNN Canada. <laughs> so, so, so why is why is world opinion against Israel? Why, why, why do we need Hasbara? Why is everybody's quiet? Because anti-Semitism, yeah, kind of, but because they feel like we're taking advantage of them. We're why are we taking powerful. advantage of them? Because we're more powerful. Because we're more powerful. Everybody roots the underworld. We're so powerful, so therefore our violence is disproportionate. You ever hear that, right? Israel's disproportionate violence. Because, like, you know, a couple of missiles get get him, and they're like, you know. And isn't that Yirmiyahu's argument here? Come on, God, there's like disproportionate violence. Like, okay, we sin, but like you're swallowing and you're fire and your arrows and like fire. And like, what's going on? Like too much. That's argument number one. Argument number one is the violence is disproportionate. Right, it's too much. We're not, we're little, you're big, you're God. Right, God's portrayed here as just like, you know, Unruly, it's like a temper tantrum. And they're like, come on, it's too much. Calm down. Right? You all have chanichim, like they can't calm down, they're like dysregulated, right? That's argument number one. Disproportionate violence. Right? And and right, is giving us permission to do this, right? It's like sacrilege the way we're talking about it, but Yirmiyahu is doing it. He gives us permission to ask all these questions. He's asking me how, so we can ask also. He's he's making it. It's not just that we can; we must. What's what's question number two? What's question number two? Where's the food? Where's the food? Okay, we'll get there in a minute. We'll get there in a minute. That's like part of the question. Before we get there, the question number two comes before that. It's in pasuk. Pasuk Tet. Pasuk Tet. What's question number two in Pasuk Tet? Question number two. Tell me what question number two is. What's question number two? Meaning? Meaning? 
Right? Who is supposed to be the moral voice? Who's supposed to help the people do tshuva? Who's supposed to help when things are bad? The Nevi'im, but prophecies. God's not providing the prophet's prophecy. So, God, come on. Like, you can't blame us. You're not properly giving prophecy to the prophets. Not our fault. We don't have a rabbi. Rabbi's not getting proper vision. Question number two. And then question number three, which I think is the most powerful question. In Pasukyud. Okay, let's read it together. Yeshvul aratidmu ziknei vatsil. Right, the elders of Zion are sitting on the floor crying. Helu'afarosham. They put dust on their heads. Chagrusakim, they're wearing sackcloth. Horidula aratroshan, they've put their heads down. Betulo Yerushalayim, the virgins are putting their heads down. The tears are, have dried up my eyes. My, my stomach has, has, has uh, you know, is, is t- turning. My liver has come out to the ground. Why? 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 What's ba'atef olel? What's an olel in the yonik? What's an olel in the yonik? You have the sucklings and children. Yonik is a, is a nursing baby. And they are dying in the city. To their mothers, they say, where's the food? Where's the wine? Where's the food? So what's the question Yirmiyahu is asking? What's he asking here? Like they're innocent, they should have been innocent. Right? What's going on here, huh? You're supposed to punish those who sinned. What did the baby do? Why is the baby suffering? How does this make sense? Pretty big question, right? This question comes up over and over and over in Eichel. It comes up even here, Pasuchaf. If you just look down, right? Right? That mothers are driven to eat their children. Right? Pasuk, even back another Pasuk, Yutet Kumi Roni Balayla Roshash Mur Shivchi Kamayim Libech Nohak Ben Hashem, Sielav Kapayach Al Nevesh Olaich Hatfim Barav Koshko Kutot, asking God to look at the children who are dying. Comes up over and over, Perak Dalid, just turn for a second. Pasuk Dalid, Dalid Dalid, Davak Lashon Yonek El Chikobat Zama, the tongues. Of the sucklings are 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 so dry that they're sticking to their palates. Right, they're asking for bread. Very powerful question. Right on the whole on the on the, on the algorithm that suffering happens because of sin. What do you do with the innocent? That's question number three. What's question number four? 
Question number four. Let's keep going for a minute. Pasuk Yudala is question number four. What's question number four? What's question number four? Pasuk Yudala. Question number four. Similar to question number two, but a little different. What's question number four? Why wasn't the prophecy listened to? Not, look well, carefully, carefully. Not just why wasn't the prophecy listened to, but? Not just they couldn't understand it. What's saying? It was false promise. Right? What was happening at that time? Like we just said, there were all these false prophets running around. I don't know who to listen to. You have this prophet who says everything's going to be okay. You have this prophet who says everything's going to be terrible. Who are you to listen to? I don't know the difference. I'm just the stunt dude on the street. It's not my fault. I'm getting punished because I don't know who to listen to. I need guidance. All these rabbis telling me different things. And so it says, I can't do it. This says, I can't do it. The Torah could go to the women's section. I can't go to the women's section. Like, what's going on? I don't know what to do. Right? So what am I supposed to do? Question number four. Question number five. Pasuk Yudzayim. What's question number five? Seems like this was always going to happen. It's always going to happen. This was always going to happen. When was it always going to happen? What does the Midrash say? When, this, when was Tishabav? When did Tishabav become Tishabav? The Miraglim, right? They were crying. God said, You're crying now for no reason. I'll give you a reason to cry, right? Hundreds of years later. Hundreds of years later. So, so you're you know, like, Sashem Kasher is a mom. You can't even see what's going to happen. You're saying it's because of sin? You planned this. It's just a pretext to sin. It was always going to happen. You always planned for the Beit HaMikdash should be destroyed. And you know what? The second Beit HaMikdash, guess what? It happened on the same day. Like, what's going on? All these terrible tragedies. Just a coincidence they all happen on Tisha B'Av? God, you have a plan. It's not because of sin. Five questions. Five questions. Big questions, right? Big questions. Right? The, the violence is disproportionate. Number two, prophecy has ceased. Number three, the innocents are suffering. Number four, prophecy. We don't know who to follow. Which prophets are telling the truth, which aren't telling the truth? And number five, isn't this all predestined? Right? The big questions of free will versus predestination. Your meow was asking this thousands of years ago. Thousands of years ago, your meow was asking these big questions that are still questions for us today. And what's your meow's answer? Shifli chamayim libech, no hachpnei Hashem. Re'eh Hashem 
His answer is, I have two minutes for the whole answer. His answer is, not why, but what. His answer here is the Eov answer. Right? That God appears to Eov in the, in the whirlwind and says, where were you when the world was created? You're trying to ask questions on God. You know, like how, you know, the, the stork, you know, impregnates on the mountains. On the, you know, he's like, where were you all these times? You, you don't know anything. You're a tiny little speck. From your human perspective, you might think none of this makes sense. But I'm God. Meaning, there are no answers that we can understand. There are no answers we can understand. What we must ask for ourselves is not why, but what. What is the Jewish response? The Jewish response is to find hope and to pray and to ask God to pay attention and to submit to the divine plan. That's paradise. So, Icha, Yumiel oscillates between reason in Parakala, it's also Parakay, if you're like chiastic. Right? If you like chiasms, Parak Aleph and Parak Hay are about like the, you know, justice. They're, everything makes sense. Suffering happens because of sin. Parak Bet and Parak Dalid are counterparts. These questions are too big for us. That narrative just, it, there's a limit. If you go to a Shiva house and you try to say like, I'm sorry, you know, he must have been a pretty bad guy and that's why. Like, the guy, it's the worst possible thing you can say, right? It doesn't always work that way. It's not always in there. And we don't always understand. And Paragimel, which we obviously don't have time, but we'll have another Haruso with that at some point. That'll be the all-nighter tonight. Paragimel is one person himself. How does one individual, maybe your meow himself, how does he contend with suffering when he's in the middle of it? What's his relationship to God? That's Parakimel. It's like sort of stuck in there in an interesting way as sort of the center point. But I think it's fascinating, right? That thousands of years old, this text of thousands of years old, how relevant it is to contemporary times in thinking about how we relate to these big, big questions. Questions that your campers might be asking you today. Right? Why? Why do these things happen? Right? And these are different ways that you're always trying to contend with them. And it gives me comfort, at least, to know that these questions are not new, and they're thousands of years old. Yirmiyahu himself is asking that he gives us permission and almost a requirement to ask these questions. And these are the questions that we face with, and trying as much as we can to understand God and how we should respond. The answer is always, right, what is our response? Right? How do we make meaning? How do we respond? How do we turn to God out of, out of suffering? Right? And if we look in the world, some of the people who have made the biggest impact in world history are people who have gone through terrible individual tragedies. It's interesting. Right? You could count so many of them. Think about it in your own life. People you've encountered who have inspired you who have gone through tragedy. Why is it that suffering sometimes leads to greatness? No idea. No idea. It's kind of the way of the world. These are part of the mysteries. So nice to learn with you guys. So awesome.
I'll be around today. Come schmooze anytime. Awesome. Thank you, Ravizi. Thank you.